We'll be reading one verse there in just a moment. <clears throat> While we're doing that, thank you, Madeline, and thank you, choir, for that beautiful uh, special this morning. Our choir is working very hard right now, getting ready for the Christmas musical. That will be Sunday morning, December 16th. Our children are working hard also. They will have a dress rehearsal next Sunday uh, afternoon, and uh, they will have a, a special musical performance and worship on Sunday evening, December 9th. So a lot going on in our church. Let me read this one verse of Scripture here this morning. The most familiar verse we know says this, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. That's good news. That's good news this morning. Have you heard bad news this week? Have you, have you received any bad news this week? Or did you turn on the television this week and you just over and over and over heard bad news after bad news after bad news? Well, let me tell you something. There's some good news right there. That's good news for, that's good news for each one of us sitting here individually this morning. That's good news for this congregation. That's good news for this city. That's good news for the world. God loved the world and still loves the world. And he gave. No one else could give, but God gave. And we're going to dive into this, and we're going to look at this short, simple verse this morning. It's a verse that Billy Graham, the great evangelist who passed away just a few months ago at the age of 99, Billy Graham said, I have spent my whole life trying to preach this one simple verse. We teach it to our children in Sunday school. I know that in our Awanas ministry that probably one of the first verses that our children learn to memorize and put into their hearts is John 3.16. We whisper it to our loved ones on their deathbeds. It appears in crowds at sporting events. When Tim Tebow wore John 3.16 as the eyeliner um, uh, one Saturday afternoon for the University of Florida, 90 million people Googled the verse to see what it said. It's known by more people than any other verse. It's called the Little Gospel. In Anglican liturgy, it's called the Comfortable Word. It's the Gospel in a nutshell. There is enough Gospel in this verse to save the world, but the world will hear and believe it. Now there's some debate here as we get to this scripture. This is in a, a very important uh, passage of scripture in John chapter 3. There's some debate, debate over whether Jesus is still talking to Nicodemus at this point. Uh, Nicodemus had come to Jesus. The religious leader there in Jerusalem had come to Jesus by night to question Jesus as to exactly who are you. He says these words. He says, we know you are a teacher sent from God. Jesus is going to turn this whole event here and tell Nicodemus some things. Nicodemus has an idea as, as a religious leader of the Jews. He believes that the Messiah is coming, but he's coming only for the nation of Israel. And that the benefit his, of his coming would be enjoyed only by the Jewish people. But Jesus here announces that God loves the entire world. The Jew, the Gentile, the rich, the poor, the slave, or the free, without exception. 
You know, up to this point, people like Nicodemus had been infatuated and interested in Jesus because of the great miracles that he had performed, because of the great signs and wonders that they have seen. But in this conversation with Nicodemus in verse number 3, he tells Nicodemus these words. He draws a line in the sand about who he really is. He says, Nicodemus, I tell you that unless a man is born again, he cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. Born again, born of the Spirit, not of the flesh. And he goes on to explain that. You can go back this afternoon and look at John chapter 3 and see that conversation and the importance of it. I want to look this morning at four different aspects of this verse that there is love enough for all of us. There's sacrifice enough for all of us. There's invitation for all of us. And there's life that is everlasting for eternity for all of us. Look at the first words of this beautiful verse here. It says, for God so loved. For God so loved. Let me ask you this question. What if God had not loved the world? What if God had not loved the world? Now there's plenty of reason that humanity has given God over the course of the, of the last over 6,000 years of recorded history, there's reason after reason after reason that God has the right, uh, uh, the sovereignty to say, I'm hands off with you, I don't want to have anything to do with you anymore, I don't love you as I did in the beginning. We look at our world today and we see the hate and the anger and the envy and the strife and the malice and all of the things that are there. We see, the, we see uh, how men treat each other, how, how evil this world has become. And God has every right to fall out of love with humanity. What if as we go, move toward this gift, uh, this uh, season of Christmas and we're making our list and, and, and our gift-giving list and we're giving other people our gift-giving list. What if, what if there had been no gift of the Lord Jesus Christ? What if God had not loved the world and given this gift of the Lord Jesus Christ? But the verse says here, God loved the world, and he still loves the world. God is love. We know that John says this again later on in his epistles, that God is love. God is the embodiment of love. As we see him, but also we know this, God is purity and he is righteousness. And it, but yet, he could love a world that hated him, that hated his son. A world that demanded the death of his son. Nailed him to a cross and mocked him while he died. He not only loved the world, but he provided salvation at the greatest cost that anyone could ever know. Without his love, there is no hope. Choir, think for just a moment. Without the love that God has for you, what would your hope be in this morning? Would you have any hope without the love of God? I know that we stand here this morning and we know that if there is no hope in God, then there's no purpose in living. Max Lucado wrote, wrote, wrote a great book on this one verse out of a series of sermons that he preached. And he says this about the hope found in this verse. He says, I think it's simple hope. We need hope. There's nothing worse than to live a life of despair. For a person to have no hope just sucks the blue out of every sky. 
John 3.16 is a passage that articulates that hope real simply. The book of Romans articulates the hope. The story of Abraham articulates the hope. If you just want one sentence, a simple description, God loves, God gave, we believe, we live. There it is. It's one of those verses that anybody can memorize. You can write it on a napkin in a restaurant. It's hip pocket size. I think that's why it's endured as it has. It's simple hope. It contains that hope for us all. The most stunted life of all is a life isolated and lived without the love and hope of God. I hate to think about what our lives would be if we were unloved and isolated from God. But God loves us all. No matter what we have done, God loves us all. Romans 3.23 says this. Maybe you've used this verse as you told other people about Christ. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Everyone who's ever been born, everyone who's ever lived has sinned, yet God loves us no matter what we've done. You ever have those days where you feel like there's just absolutely nobody who loves you? Maybe you're different from me, but I have those days where I feel like there's just absolutely nobody who loves me. I feel like everywhere I turn, there's somebody who slaps at me or has something to say or whatever. And when I go home, the last place that I can look for pity is to go home in my house and look for pity. you got to be real, because when I begin to uh, pour out that, you know, I, I feel like everybody's mad at me. I feel like the, the, the words I get more often are not, well, you just need to suck it up. You need to get over it. So when those days happen, I pick up the phone and I call my mother. Because I know no matter what and no matter how anybody else feels about me, I know that I can call my mother and my mother loves her from Michael. Now, I don't think my mother's here this morning, is she? Oh, that was my dad back, let's see, back there. But I know that I can call my mother and no matter what, my mother loves me. And I've given, I gave my mother lots of reasons not to love me as a boy. But my mother loved me through it all. My mother prayed for me through it all. My mom and dad uh, never stopped praying for me no matter what it was that I had done. The love was tough sometimes and the love was hard sometimes and the lessons from that hard and tough love carried me on and made me a better person. But God loves us no matter what we've done. No matter how worthless we feel, God loves us. I want you to do something over the course of this next month. As you go about your hectic schedule, as you go about the busyness of your life, as you go through Christmas holiday and this Christmas season, I want you to take as you go to the mall or as you go to Walmart or you go to the grocery store or you go to work or school or wherever it is, I want you to look at the faces of the people that you encounter as you go along life's way. I want you to pay special attention over the course of this next month during what should be the most joyous time of year. It's not that for everyone. And look at the faces that you will encounter. You'll see loneliness, you'll see despair, and you'll see suffering on the faces of people that you encounter. People who feel unworthy and people who feel unloved. This verse is for them. This verse is for them. And as you see those people, take a moment. Take a moment and speak to them 
and, and engage in a conversation with those people and spend some time and maybe you'll get an opportunity there to find out about them and maybe you'll have opportunity to share with them this beautiful verse that tells about love. This is love in the highest form of all. John says here that it's for the world. The Greek ear is eon cosmon. It means the whole cosmos of men. And it includes, as Jesus says these words to his Jewish audience, it included the Gentiles. And this is one of the reasons for the unpopularity of Jesus' message. But it included the whole human race. And today we need to know and understand that as individuals this verse is for us, but it's for people that we don't know. It's for people who are different from us. It's from people of different ethnicities and different races and different cultures. It's not just for those of us born here in the Bible Belt, but it is a verse for all the world. So we see that there is love enough, there is enough love for us all, and we see that there is a great enough sacrifice for us all. Look at the second part of this verse says that he gave his only son. That he gave his only son. Now, here's how to look at this verse as a witness, as a witnessing tool, as a witnessing ministry. When you tell someone that he gave his only son, what is included in this? You hear me say this many Sunday mornings, standing here during the invitation. In this passage right here that he gave his only son, you see the birth in Bethlehem of Jesus Christ in these words. You see the sinless life that Jesus led here in these words. You see the death of Jesus here in these words. And most importantly, you see the resurrection of Jesus in these words. God's love for us moved him to give his son. He's the sufficient sacrifice for our sins. John would later write in 1 John 2, 2, Jesus is the propitiation for our sin. That word means that he's the substitute. That as he went to that cross, that it was me. It was me who should have been on that cross. It was you who should have been on that cross. Individually, each one of us should have had to go to our own cross to pay for our own sins. But Jesus was the propitiation. He was the substitute for us there on that cross. God moved, God's love moved him so much that he did that. We sang just a few minutes ago so beautifully. We sing about the words, worthy is the lamb. Worthy is the lamb. The lamb is Jesus. As Jesus is speaking these words here, there are people who are preparing to sacrifice lambs. And they are prepared, to, they're, they're bringing the most spotless, most perfect uh, sacrifice that they can. But Jesus was the Lamb of God, sacrificed for all. John the Baptist recognized this before Jesus ever went into his ministry. In John 1.29 it says, The next day he saw Jesus coming to him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. John the Baptist knew that Jesus was the only one who took away the sin of the whole world. In Genesis chapter 2, the story of Abraham taking Isaac up on, on, on the mount to make a sacrifice. 
and as they go, there's wood and there's fire, but there's no lamb for the sacrifice. And Isaac, very in a childlike, loving way, asks his father, he says, Father, we have wood and we have fire, but where is the sacrifice? And Abraham said to him, God will provide. And God did provide. God, God provided on a cross at Calvary the substitution for our sins. Isaiah prophesied this uh, many uh, hundreds of years before Jesus came. And Isaiah 53, 5 and 6 says all our sins were laid on him. He was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening for our well-being fell upon him. And by his scourging we are healed. All of us, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. But the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. Jesus took our place on a cross. And we see that he was sacrificed enough for all of us. And then we see that there is an invitation. And there is an invitation for us all here. That whoever believes in him. Whoever means all. And you can look for a loophole in that word all, and you won't find one. All means all. All means every man, woman, boy, and girl who are alive on the face of this earth this morning, that there is a sacrifice for them, and that whoever believes in Jesus, that's who it's for. Whoever is a word for us all. It's a word that is generalized, but it is a word that's very particular. It is a word that embraces all, yet touches each one of us personally. Now do this for just a moment. Where it says there that whoever believes in him, take just a moment and insert your name there in that whoever. And say these words, that when Paul believes in him, that when Adam believes in him, that when Harrison believes in him, that when Sherry believes in him, that when Sandy, that when Ms. Burke believes in him, put your name there. It's personal. It was written, it was written generally for the whole world, but it was also written personally for you. That's an effective thing to do if you're sharing the gospel with someone and you use this verse. That's a very effective way to do it there is to ask the person to put their name there in that spot where it says whoever because it makes it personal and it is personal. It's an invitation and it's, it's given for each and every one of us. And look here at the end of this verse. It says there is an invitation for us all but it also says that there is enough there is an eternity for us all. The verse ends by saying, it should not perish, but have everlasting life. How old are you? Don't, you don't have to yell it out loud. Some of y'all are pretending that you're, some of y'all pretend real hard that you're not a senior adult. You, I, I'll mention, I want you to come to Sunshine Club. I'm not old enough. I've got the Sunday school records. I know you really are. All right? But how old are you? When I was the age of this group sitting down here, the, 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 uh, the youth that are sitting down here, when I was 
just their age, I looked at someone who is my age now, and I thought, bless their heart, they could die at any minute. And bless my heart, <laughs> some days I feel like I could. <laughs> now that I am this age, I have decided that really there is no old, there is no old age. You may feel it's, it, you may feel old. I, I, I'll use this term a lot. I used it a couple of Sundays ago. I believe we are only as old as the the regrets that we have. So try to live your life without regret if you're a young person. Do the things you can for Christ while you're young and do the things you should while you're young. And when you get to a certain age, you won't have to say, well, I, I'm old. You won't, you won't ever be old. I look, at the, I look at the examples that I have before me here in this church, and some of you are ageless. I know some of your ages, and, and I, I, I'm just amazed at, at the ministry that you still are involved in and the things that you still do. We know that um, most of the time people live um, when we people really begin to start thinking about the end at certain uh, when they get to a certain number, I'm not going to call out that number because some of you may have just got there and you hadn't thought about it yet. But nowadays, with the with the advancements of modern medicine, people live longer than they did even when I was a boy. I used to look at the obituaries when I was a, when I was a boy, and I would see people, and it seemed like everybody died within a certain. Uh, decade of age there now people live well past that people now are beginning to live it's, it's not uncommon now for people to live to be over a hundred years old we've had two church members in our congregation here lately one who lived to be 101 and one who lived to be 102 not shy just, just a little bit shy of 103 so we know that people are living longer and life is, is progressing, and, and we have better medicine, and we have better things. Uh, we could, it's, not, it's not out of the stretch of the imagination to think of people um, not far from now living to be 120 years old. But let me tell you something. No matter what, no matter what number you reach, eternal life with Jesus Christ is far better. Eternal life with Jesus Christ is far better. I had one of our church members tell me not long ago I went to visit them while they were doing a, uh, some uh, in, in the rehab for a, from a surgery. And her words to me, her advice to me was, Michael, don't get old. It's not worth it. I said, well, I'll take your advice. But everlasting life. Knowing this morning that you have eternal life with the Lord Jesus Christ is worth it. It's worth every momentary minute of affliction here in this life. Because we know, as Paul said, these momentary light afflictions are nothing compared with the glory that is going to be revealed in us someday because of our relationship and our sins being forgiven through the death, burial, and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. The presentation of the good news of God's love offers only two options. Either you believe or you perish. There is a reality in my life this morning 
that if I were not to make it back to my physical address here in Piedmont, Alabama, there is a reality in my life that I have a more permanent address as a citizen of heaven, and there is a reality in my life that no matter what were to happen in between here and my home, that my next breath, my soul would, would be in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. And on those days when it feels like there's no one who loves me, and on those days when it feels like that, there's, that I'm worthless, I just look toward heaven and know that it's my home. I just look toward heaven and I know that someday I'll be home and this won't matter. But for right now it matters because my job and my task and my calling is to tell people about the Lord Jesus Christ. This morning I'm telling you that as sure as I am that heaven is my home, I'm also sure that if you reject the message that here in John 3.16 that you will perish and that perishing is a reality. We live in a world where we don't want to accept the fact that people perish and are separated for eternity from the love of our core. Even those of us who are believers and have the assurance of heaven, it should shake us to our core knowing that we may have children or grandchildren or mothers or fathers or grandparents, aunts, uncles, cousins, friendships, where we may have people in our lives who are perishing right now at this moment and headed to separation from God in a place called hell. This message is for everyone, and everyone has to respond to it without fail. I read a story about, that says a man was looking for a place in New York City to party late one night. He stopped a police officer and said, Sir, I am looking for a nightclub named Hell's Gates. Do you know how to get there? The officer said, sir, just keep going down this street and you will pass Calvary Church on your right. Just keep going past Calvary and you will come to Hell's Gate. If you go past the cross of Calvary, if you reject the substitution of Jesus Christ for your sins, and you will someday know the reality of Hell's Gate and the reality of an eternity separated from God and the love of God and knowing that you are in a place without hope. You have to pass so many things to get to hell. You have to pass the love of God. You have to pass the resurrection. You have to pass the word of God. You have to pass the church. This morning you will have to pass the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Most of all, you have to pass the cross of Calvary. Don't pass Calvary. In his book about John 3.16, Max Lucado says these words, You cannot win it. You cannot lose it but you can refuse it. And this morning I'm asking and pleading with you that if you are here and you don't know the forgiveness of the Lord Jesus Christ, if you don't know the forgiveness of your sins through the substitution of Jesus Christ for you on the cross at Calvary, and I am asking you this morning to decide, to decide to believe that God loved you enough to give His Son to die for you so that you would not have to perish, but that you could have the same eternal life that I know I have today. It's very simple. As I said here in this message just a few minutes ago, Jesus Christ came to this earth. We will celebrate it without end for the next few weeks, that Jesus Christ was born in a place called Bethlehem, in a city 
called Bethlehem. He was born into the most abject poverty that you could imagine in your world. And he freely came of his own accord because he loved you so much that he wanted to be the substitute for you. From that moment that he was born, he lived an absolute sinless, perfect life when it came to sin. He never knew sin. He was tempted in every single way, yet he did not know any sin. And because of his spotless, blemishless life, Without sin, he was able to go to a cross and be your substitute. And he went there that day, and he gave his life on a cross, the most cruel form of punishment that has ever been known to mankind. And he breathed his last earthly breath there on that cross. And he went to a tomb not far away. But three days later, God raised him from that death and he has victory over death and he has victory over the grave and he has the key to eternal life for you this morning it's for you to simply believe in him as daring comes to lead us during this time of invitation this time of worship reflection a time for you to make decision if you're here this morning i'm praying for you I'm praying that Jesus Christ is praying for you this morning, and I'm praying that every believer in this room will be praying for you to come to the place this morning where you believe. I'm going to ask you this morning to search your heart and to know for certain that you have eternal life, that you have been born again, that you have asked for forgiveness of your sins, you've turned from those sins, and you're following Jesus Christ for your life. As we stand and as every believer in this room joins me in prayer, Father, I pray for those here this morning who may not know Christ as their Savior. I pray this morning for you to speak to their hearts, for you to open their hearts spiritually, and for them to know this morning that your Holy Spirit is speaking to them. God the Holy Spirit is pointing them to God the Son, Jesus Christ, who gave his life for them. Father, there are people here this morning who are troubled, who are weary, who are worn down from this life. I pray that they would, as you said in Matthew 11, 28 through 30, that they would bring those burdens to you and that they would lay those burdens here at the altar and they would take up the lightness of the burden you give us. No matter where we are this morning, God, if people need to come and pray, if they need to pray to be shaken for the lost who are around them, Lord, I pray that they would come this morning and fill this altar and pray. But most importantly, if there are those here this morning who don't know Christ, I pray that they will come and they will allow me to take Scripture and to show them how they can have eternal life with Jesus Christ. We ask all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen.